0: Well, that kind of put the brakes on our mood, didn't it? (laughs) Like our party just got crashed, huh? Who does he think he is? Where did he come from? I wonder if he came right from our congregation. That's what I wonder. Yeah. I uh, I wonder if in our worship services today... Uh, there's at least one person who's really struggling, you know? I mean, we come here, we gather, it's a, it's a big day in the life of the church, and Christians are gathering, and, and you know, in our culture, it's kind of the American thing to come to church on Easter, you know? And so, and yet, and yet, I mean, do, I mean did a dead guy really get up? Well, for the sake of that person, I want to have a conversation about this. I want to talk about someone who in the Bible struggled with doubt, major doubt. That person may be here today. I want us to hear this person struggle with doubt and then what I want to do is I want us to to see what God did in answer to this person's doubt. And I wanna I want begin with this quote uh, by a Christian whose name was Brother Lawrence. He lived centuries ago and, and it's the compass for today. Lawrence once said, when we are in doubt, when we are in doubt, God will never fail to give light when we have no other plan, Than to please him and to act in love for him. When we are in doubt, God will never fail to give light when we have no other plan than to please him and to act in love for him. Well, that's where we're going today, and I want you to take your Bibles and I want you to turn to the New Testament book of John. John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. And I want us to hear about someone who doubted. And then I want us to see how God responded to this person's doubt. You'll find John 20, 19 to 31 on page 769 of your church Bibles, navy blue Bibles in the pouch in front of you. Those verses are also up on the screen. Follow along with me as I read John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31 And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, called Didymus, that word means the twin. One of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This is God's Word. Well, how we celebrate Easter is a far cry from how that first Easter happened. Our scriptures open with the disciples being together with doors locked for fear of the Jews. Which Jews? Well, Caiaphas, the chief priest, the enemies of Christ, those particular uh, uh, enemies of Jesus who had been responsible for arresting him and seeing that he was crucified. And how could those disciples have possibly known seven days later when Jesus with the pilgrim Galilee Hebrews uh, uh, entered Jerusalem Uh, to waving palm branches and cloaks thrown out over the road like a red carpet treatment, shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. How could they have possibly Possibly pictured all that would happen that week, the scheming of Caiaphas, the the betrayal of Judas, the the, the wishy-washiness of Pilate, uh, uh, the denials of Peter, the crucifixion of their leader, his death, his burial, his body being wrapped in 75 pounds of spices, the tomb being sealed, guarded by the Romans. How could they have possibly pictured in their minds that on that Palm Sunday, then just a week later, they would be holed up, locked up, tight, uh, a self-imposed solitary confinement, lest they be found and discovered and arrested and tried and crucified like their leader was. My goodness. And then, that night, something happened that absolutely transformed them. Right there in that, in that locked up room, Jesus appeared. And I love how uh, simple... The Gospel of John states, did you notice that in the Gospel readings, particularly in this Gospel reading, uh, I mean, it just simply says, Jesus came and stood among them. There's none of this, you know, description of Jesus being this radioactive. Active nuclear glowing messiah who kind of has this green lantern ring and all of a sudden stands. I mean, there's none of that. It's just kind of just plain. You know? Just plain. Which tells me that this really happened. I mean, when we would, if we were to read the fiction of the ancient world, it, it would never be this vanilla. It wouldn't. There he is though peace be with you, he says. Shalom. Peace to God comes through me. Peace comes through Jesus. And and my goodness, verse 20 we read, he showed them his hands. He showed them his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. I like how Luke mentions this. Luke gives us a little more detail. Uh, Luke chapter 24, 38, Jesus said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me. Touch me and see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have and when he had said this he showed them his hands and feet and I love forty one. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy and amazement. So there was this there was this paradox of, 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 of Joy and amazement and doubt and is this you know, this is too good to be true and, and well it probably is not true and but the, while, while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement he, he asked them Do you have anything here to eat. <laughs> And then, at the first 40, they gave him a piece of broiled fish. Broiled fish, not fried fish, because it's going to be resurrection heart healthy, Dr. Luke tells us, you know. Broiled fish. <laughs> and he took it, and he ate in their presence. See that, the, see that detail? Where does that detail come from? An eyewitness? That's where that detail comes from. And then back to John's gospel. John... John tells us that what took place after that was a commissioning. There were several commissionings in the resurrection accounts. Uh, Matthew 28 is not the only commissioning. And John lets us hear one of the commissionings. Verse 21 peace be with you. Shalom. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, (laughs) please don't leave here thinking that Jesus made the disciples kind of you know independent agents to you know grant forgiveness or not forgiveness however he wanted to all right that's not what this says here you 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 can't take verse 23 by itself you can't yank it out of its context verse 23 has to be read with verse 21 as the father has sent me i am sending you this is a commissioning this is a this is a deputizing this is an an authorizing they are preaching and speaking the gospel message that With Jesus, and in Jesus, and through Jesus, and by Jesus, there is the forgiveness of sins. And apart from Jesus, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's what we're reading here with this commissioning. And then, after that, he left. And there they were. And they were just overjoyed. They were just incredibly overjoyed all of them except for one (laughs) thomas where's thomas why wasn't he with them? we don't know oh but when he showed up they mobbed him thomas we we've seen him he's alive we have seen the lord what no, no, we've seen him. I mean, he—he he, he stood right there. He, he he got down some broiled fish, Thomas. I mean, he's alive. Stop! No, really, stop, stop, stop. What? what are you? What are you? What are you? What are you doing? Why would you say this? Why would you say this? It's over. It's over. I mean he was crucified, dead, mummified, buried. It's done. And, and 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 we were there. Oh no, we weren't there, were we? Because we ran. We fled. Peter, you denied him three times. It's over. And we cannot stay up in this room for the rest of our lives. It's done. And you want me to believe? You want me to believe you? You want me to believe you? Okay, here's the deal. Show me the body. Show me. Show me. Show me his hands. Show me his pierced hands. Show me. Show me his side. Show me. Unless I see that, I'll never believe, ever. well, that kind of put the brakes on things, didn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Thomas. Thomas called Didymus. Thomas, the twin. The twin. Ah, he had a twin. I don't know if that twin was a brother or a sister. I don't know. But he had a twin. I wonder if his twin is here today. Huh? I wonder. I wonder if there's, I wonder if there's someone here who just is really struggling. Struggling with doubt. Struggling with, with, with uncertainty. Struggling with what's, what's happening here. What's... Why do you doubt? You know, there's... Not all doubt's the same, is it? I mean, some, some, sometimes we doubt like the guy on the video sometimes sometimes we doubt because we because we need more information we do you know we wonder if the what we're reading today was the same as what they wrote 2000 years ago well that's a fair question and that can be answered The Old Testament that you have, it was so meticulously copied. The Old Testament that you have in your hands right now is the same Old Testament that Jesus read. I mean, the scribes were so precise. And as far as the New Testament's concerned, my goodness, the New Testament was the most widely copied document in the ancient world. In the ancient world, and so we have so many copies that, that through a, through a, a process of, of of studying the different copies of the different texts, we have a, we have a New Testament that it 's like that bar of soap it 's like ninety nine point nine percent pure it 's pure and and no major doctrine in Christianity rests on a on a disputed text so my goodness, if you're feeling doubt because, you know, of those reasons, well, you need to go to Urbana Seminary. We've got qualified professors who will help with that, if you're doubting for that reason. Some of you aren't doubting for that reason. Some of you're doubting because you are just flat tired. (laughs) You're exhausted emotionally and physically and mentally, and you're just drained. And do you know what you need? a nap. <laughs> you do. <Yeah>. Not now. <laughs> but isn't it true when we, when, we, when we feel fatigued and tired and exhausted, we just, you know, we lose heart and, and, and our, our faith begins to waver and we teeter and totter and and so, get some rest. All right. Some of you are doubting. Some people, some people doubt because they have chosen doubt as a philosophy of life. They have chosen. Uh, they've chosen to believe that life is meaningless. And so, and so that gives you wiggle room to uh, create your own meaning. Which means you get to be in the driver's seat, which, which, which may be the real reason you choose doubt. <laughs> See. And then still, others doubt because over the, say, the last 10 years, you've made a thousand incremental, unwise decisions, and you wake up one morning and you look in the mirror and you say. You say, after being in business, you have no business being in. After being in a relationship, you have no business being in. After sleeping with someone, you have no business sleeping with. You look in the mirror after a thousand incremental, unwise decisions. You say, Oh, religion, I never believed that stuff anyway. Really? Really? See? Why do you doubt? Why did Thomas doubt? That's the question, huh? And in a word, in a word, it's this: disappointment, crushing disappointment. Thomas had bet the farm on Jesus. Thomas had spent three and a half years of his life. He'd invested his life, his hope, his time in this God man from Nazareth. And 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 what happened at the end of the road? A Roman cross. The Messiah was crucified. He had absolutely no category for a crucified Messiah. Messiahs aren't supposed to get crucified. They're supposed to conquer. They're supposed to be victorious. What's this about a crucified Messiah? And so now it's like this this train wreck has happened. And he's trying to pick up the pieces of this crushing disappointment. And And some of you are that way here even today. You have had a train wreck in your life, and you're trying to pick up the pieces. And the last thing you want to add to crushing disappointment is simple-minded gullibility. And Thomas is going, you know, you know, whenever we go through crisis, we, we try to hang on to something, right? Hang on to something. Hang on to it. Finding an anchor. And maybe Thomas was trying to reach back into his his Hebrew heritage. Maybe he was trying to reach back into his understanding of the Bible, and maybe that included Proverbs chapter 14, verse 15, which says, the simple believes everything, but the prudent gives thought to his steps. Maybe that's where Thomas was. And the last thing he wanted to add to disappointment was gullibility. And so he had a problem, and he wanted to talk about it. Sometimes God's people experience doubts, crushing disappointment, and we wonder, what in the world do we do about that? How do we handle that? What does God want us to do? You know what? We need to do what Thomas did. We need to We need to put our doubts on the table. That's exactly what we need to do. That's what he did, right? Isn't that what he did? Somewhere, some preacher in some pulpit at some church stuck him with the label Doubting Thomas and that's what we've been calling him ever since and I don't think that's fair. I think we shouldn't call him Doubting Thomas. I think we need to call him Honest Thomas because he had a problem. And he wanted to talk about it. He, he, was, he was saying what the other disciples had been thinking. It's not like he was the only one that doubted. The others did too. Don't you remember in Luke chapter 24, verse 11? It says, but they did not believe the women. Who's that? The disciples. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. So Thomas had a problem. And he wanted to talk about it. He, he, wanted, he wanted to discuss it. He wasn't there. Why, why wasn't he there that day? I don't know why he wasn't there that day. It doesn't matter. They had all deserted Jesus. Isn't that what we read in Matthew 26, 56? Then all the disciples deserted him and fled? All of them had, every one of them. So. And then this is the way Thomas has always been, right? Don't you remember in John chapter 14 when Jesus said, in my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. And then Jesus said, you know the way to the place where I am going. And the other disciples just says, yeah, you know. And Thomas goes, huh? Come a- what? <laughs> he said, Lord, we don't know where you're going so how could we possibly know the way i mean he didn't love him any less jesus i love you and i have the foggiest idea what you're talking about if you don't understand something my goodness would you just say it just say it you see that's good doubt that's good doubt And know if you're doubting because you're tired or you've made a thousand unwise incremental decisions, or you've chosen philosophy as a doubt. That's cotton candy doubt. That's not very nutritious doubt. It's not. But Thomas's doubt, honest doubt, that's, that's, that's good doubt. That's nutritious doubt. That's healthy doubt. And, and, and I, I, like, I like what, um, I, and I quoted from him last week, Frederick Beckner. I've got another quote from him. I sure hope he lives a long time. Uh, <laughs> Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. Doubts are the ants in the pants of faith. They keep it awake and moving. See? They keep it. See, so doubt means that there's just room to grow. That's what that means. They keep you moving. And moving is a must because you can't stay in that locked room for fear of the Jews. That's, that is not, that's not Christianity It's not. You can't stay where you are, huh? So let's get the doubts out on the table. God's people sometimes experience seasons of doubt, and when they do, we need to get those doubts on the table and take a look at it and probe it and talk about it, and then do you know what happens next? You know what happens next? You know what God does next when we get our doubts on the table? Nothing. (laughs) Aren't you glad you came? But it's true. Well, well, nothing for eight days. For eight days, look. For eight days. You see, See, we're honest about our doubts. God often delays. Why does he do that? I don't know. I don't know. He's God, we're not. That's how it works. And for eight days, Thomas was left in his doubt. For eight days, he stood around watching the others while he was stuck in uncertainty, some of you are stuck and you've put your doubt on the table and you're just you're expecting God to just snap to it, and heaven is silent. And well, God is God. And, and for eight days, Thomas was kind of an outsider. And, and, and the fact of the matter is, Jesus chose to let Thomas wait, he didn't show up right away. We, we, we don't know what needed to happen in Thomas before Jesus appeared to him. All we know is that Jesus made him wait. And, and what I want to say is that, you know what? We struggle with doubt. Expect God to let you wait. <laughs> Expect it. And it won't seem fair at the time. In fact, it'll seem downright mean. And God knows what he's doing. Our all-knowing, all-present Almighty God, whom we worship, may have reasons for a delay that we can't possibly understand. Thomas had to wait. We know that. And we know something else, and this is so important. We know that God delayed, and Thomas had to wait, and you know what else we know? We know that they stayed together. They stayed together. Thomas wasn't voted off the island. And I think that's a great lesson about the character of their community and the character of what our community needs to be. We talk about our church being a life-changing community, passionately pursuing Christ. Well, what does that look like? Well, if it means anything, it means that, well, what it meant for them is that Thomas was in an environment where he could put his doubt on the table and not be repelled or expelled for it. You see that? They didn't expel him. They didn't repel him, you know? And if we, you know, if if you are in a community where, you know, people say, well, I'm afraid to talk about my doubts because I don't want to risk our friendship or relationship or whatever, if if you're in a community, then that's really not a community. It's a pseudo-community. And I want us to be a congregation. I want us to be a community where we can bring our honest doubts to the table and know that you won't be expelled or repelled because they're real. They're in your mind. Let's bring them to the light of the truth. Huh? And that's why I want you to pay attention to something that's uh, in your bulletin here. It's on the inside of your bulletin, uh, bottom right-hand side of the page. And it's about an event that we're going to be having here, May the 15th. It says, homosexuality, truth, and grace. And I just want you to follow along with me. Listen to, listen to this uh, very well-worded bulletin announcement. It says, Christians today often err in two extremes. A lack of love, compassion, understanding, and grace toward people struggling with same-gender attraction or confusion. So, so, you know, some Christians just are like, well, I don't want to deal with it. You know, uh, you know it's like you've got leprosy. See, that's wrong. That's not the way to, God wants us to handle. That's one extreme, but then some, you know, we go to the other extreme sometimes. Well-meaning but ignorant acceptance of the misleading cultural propaganda related to homosexuality. Is, is there a third way? Is there a way that deals with grace and truth? And yes. And on that day, Kent Paris, who directs a ministry called Nehemiah Ministries, is going to be helping, helping find that third way, that way that is fully grounded in the truth of God's eternal word, full of grace and full of truth. Ken's going to help us with that because we're a community and we need to be the kind of place where we can bring our uncertainties and our doubts and our questions and put them on the table so that then we can hear the light and the truth of God's word. So you have a doubt, and you bring it to the table, and what happens next? God delays. And what happens next? Well, the disciples wait. And then what happens next? Sunday comes. Church family, Sunday always comes. Always. It does. Always Sunday comes. And Sunday came. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, huh? Same day of the week, same house. Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, just like last time. And Jesus came just like last time, stood among them just like last time. And what did he say? Just like last time, shalom, peace be with you. Peace be, and then, and then, I mean, no sooner had he said shalom that he He looked right into the eyes of Thomas. It was like he knew what Thomas's issue was. So he came, Thomas, (laughs) put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. (laughs) I want you to see this painting here. It's a great painting. I don't know who the artist is, but... You know, you can see Thomas there. He's got his fingers dug. I mean, he's knuckled deep into Jesus' side. Wow. And then you see their heads, it's kind of in the shape of a cross. That's kind of cool. And it's like Jesus is saying, Go ahead, root around in there, Thomas. Doesn't hurt. I mean, doesn't Jesus doesn't. My goodness. God's faithful. God will faithfully respond when we honestly seek. You know that? God will faithfully respond when we... I love Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Or the psalmist, I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. If I could say it in a sentence, this passage says this. Those who seek God will see God. Are you seeking Him? And Jesus responded. He he answered Thomas' challenge. He didn't ridicule him. He didn't belittle him in front of the others. He came to him. That's why I love Jude verse 22. Jude 22 says, Be merciful To those who doubt, Jesus was merciful. Uh, How how did Jesus know what Thomas needed? How did he know that? What what happened? On Wednesday, did Jesus show up and Peter said, well, Thomas said that he wouldn't believe you unless he stuck his finger in your hand. That's not what happened. Jesus knows. He's been watching. He sees Thomas. I, I love that movie, Uh, the Fisher King. Remember that movie with Robin Williams? He plays this homeless guy who falls in love with this kind of klutzy lady, and he really wants to take her out. He really wants to court her, but you know, he's homeless. And so uh, Jeff Bridges kind of helps clean him up a little bit, and then uh, they have their date, and she just cannot believe that someone would care so much for her and love her and, and, and be interested in her. And so she just kind of pushes him away. And, and, and he says, I, no, I love you. I said, why, why would you love me? He says, because I've been watching you. I've been watching you. I've seen you as you walk to work. I see you, how they treat you when you go into the front door. I, I see you on your frustrating days when you go by that jawbreaker at the concession stand. I see you. I see you, and I love you. I love you. and And she is just absolutely transformed by his love. She's changed. She's transformed, and you know, if Robin Williams can do that for you, think of what Jesus will do. Huh? <laughs> and then Jesus says to Thomas, that familiar verse in verse 29, pay attention to that. He says, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now listen, it's, that has been mistranslated or mis, misinterpreted rather. It, Jesus is not, listen, the verse does not say because you've seen me, you have believed. How much more blessed are those? He's not saying that. Jesus is not expressing disappointment in Thomas. He's not. That's not what that means. He's not saying, Thomas, I'm disappointed in you it's not what that's about. Rather, Jesus is doing for Thomas what he did to the disciples seven days ago. He's commissioning Thomas. He is telling Thomas what the future is going to be like. Jesus is looking ahead when his appearances will not be the norm. I mean, Jesus is saying to Thomas, Thomas, it's possible, see, it's possible to believe what Thomas believed without seeing what Thomas saw. In fact, in verse 29, I think what's going on here, and those of you who, you know, have done drama or acting, you, you know what an aside is don't you so it's as if Jesus says because you have seen me you have believed to Thomas and then he turns to the audience or to the reader to us and he says blessed are those he's looking at me right in the eye who have not seen and yet have believed you see Thomas Thomas you have not lost anything by trusting your friends (laughs) These are your friends, Thomas. You need to believe your friends. These are your closest people in your life. And they've told you that I'm alive. Ten of them have told you that. And then then there's Mary Magdalene and the other disciples. They can't all be crazy, Thomas. You can trust their word. See, for one week, Thomas lived like we're living right now. Right? He was put in a situation where he was forced to believe what he heard versus what he saw. And for one week, he was in the jury box. But then Jesus appeared. And he says, Thomas, Thomas, you can trust the eyewitness testimony of your friends. Oh, oh, and by the way, starting now, you're no longer in the jury box. You're now in the witness stand. (laughs) You're now, why? Because, you see, Jesus did not appear to Thomas so that Thomas would be a better believer. He appeared to Thomas so that Thomas would be a better apostle because the apostles. All of them were eyewitnesses to the risen Christ, and that's the power of Christianity. The power of Christianity is not in the curriculum. It's not in the workbook. It's not in the teaching points per se. Thomas knew the Sermon on the Mount. He didn't need to see the risen Christ for to, to, to get a little more, you know, uh, information on the Sermon on the Mount. He knew the curriculum. Christianity is not about curriculum. Christianity is about resurrection. You see, curriculum is about what you've got to do, but resurrection is about what Christ has done, and that is life transforming. Can you imagine, can you imagine uh, when the Apostle John, he eventually moved to the ancient city of Ephesus. Now, can you imagine John in Ephesus, and there's a slave in his Audience, because Christianity exploded among the, the, among the poor and the impoverished and the marginalized and the slaves. Can you imagine John in, in Ephesus and there's a slave there hearing John teach and, and, and John says, ah, the resurrection. Well, it's really just a literary device. It's, it's really just an inspiring story. It really didn't happen. It's just a great lesson on good overcoming evil. Uh, so be nice to each other. Can you picture that slave saying, awesome, that transforms my life of grinding oppression into one of triumphant hope? I don't think so. What they heard was the Apostle John stand up and to his grave he said, he is risen. That which is from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. Religious curriculum is what I have to do. Resurrection is what Jesus Christ has done. And I'm telling you, these witnesses who have died have left their record. The New Testament is a CSI report of how the resurrection has changed Their lives. And you know what? Not only their lives, but our lives. And that continues the long line of evidence that Christ is risen, He's King, and He's God. And when you believe that and you put your life in his hands and you plant churches on that truth and you participate in weekends of service on that truth and you support missions on that truth and you love orphans on that truth and you you bring together folks with hurts, habits, and hang-ups on that truth and, and you are dedicated to dynamic marriage on that truth, Jesus says, you've never seen me, yet you believe, you serve, you trust I'm impressed. I'm impressed. And so Thomas declares the most efficient profession of faith that we can make of Jesus in verse 28. My Lord and my God. Well, that's been the point of John's gospel all along, isn't it? Isn't that why we read verses 30 and 31? Incidentally, my Lord and my God. See, John wrote this when Domitian was emperor of Rome. And guess what? Domitian liked to be called my Lord and my God. And the Apostle John gives him a polite left hook. There is a real Lord and God, and he's not in Rome, he's in heaven. oh, I want to tell you something else about that painting that you saw, right? That painting, remember? That painting of Thomas knuckle-deep in Jesus' side, right? It didn't happen. Look at your Bibles. Where does it say, and Thomas touched Jesus? It doesn't, see? It doesn't. Huh. He ne- Thomas never touched Jesus. He was invited to, he could have, but he didn't. Why didn't he? Because he didn't need to, that's why. Because seeing is believing, that's why. And you know what else? Hearing is believing too. Which is why the point of this passage is those who seek God will see God. So let me ask you this question Do you want God in your life? Really? Do you? Do you want him? Are you you willing to follow the truth wherever it leads? Are you? I mean, be careful what you pray for. Because once Jesus shows up, everything changes. Everything. Those who seek God will seek God. Are you seeking? Are you? Do you really want it? When we are in doubt, God will never fail to give light when we have no other plan than to please him and to act in love for him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much.